0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. We are going to preview the Falcons-Chargers Week 9 matchup on today's episode. Joining me to do that will be Ryan DiRude and Jamal Madry of the LA Football Network. You may remember Ryan from week two. I had him on to chart or to preview the Rams Falcons matchup and I thought he did a great job. Wanted to have him back on and he was kind enough to agree. So that is going to be the bulk of our show. It went on for a decent amount of time. So we get into pretty much everything game oriented. So I'm, I'm not going to touch on any of that uh, in the intro here. I'm going to keep that nice and uh, short and sweet for you guys so we can get into the bulk of the conversation about the game. But I do want to touch on just two things. Um, Arthur Smith's comments about Calvin Ridley, not much there. Um, but also the news that Cordero Patterson activated to start his 21 day window to return um, says that he's about 90 percent. Right now. So, just a couple of quick thoughts on those two things, and then we'll get into the bulk of today's show right after this. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for hoops betting and all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether we're talking NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's that easy. Just make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. So, as you might expect, Arthur Smith was asked a good bit about the decision to trade Calvin Ridley um, yesterday before the. Trade deadline uh, expired at four o'clock. If you would like to hear more of my thoughts on that, I did a whole podcast that I would go encourage you to go and check out. Um, I'm just going to touch on Arthur Smith's comments in particular here briefly. And first off, you know Terry Fondo is the general manager. Of course, Arthur Smith is is part of these discussions, but I felt you know like he's the one he's got he's got to be up there answering all these questions. Uh, but he gets that that's part of the job. He did not say much. Uh, He would not really answer uh, many of these questions except to say that this was not a snap decision at the trade deadline. Uh, And I I never thought it was. But for, for those who kind of like these talks are happening all the time at the combine, at away games, at owners meetings, whatever, all throughout the calendar year, everybody's constantly kind of fishing around getting an idea hey what what about that cuz they consume all of this stuff as well they're they're kind of aware of a team's feelings you know may may this guy be available all that stuff and so i wouldn't be shocked if they were talking about it when jacksonville was up here in training camp for a joint practice that's just kind of the constant fishing around that front office guys do all throughout the league like that's kind of a big part of their job and i wonder how much of of the Length of time it was attributed to kind of the uniqueness of this this trade deal itself. You know what the Falcons are getting back. Did it take a little while to hammer out the real um, you know return for something that was acceptable for Atlanta to say we're getting enough value here potentially, whereas Jacksonville didn't feel like they were getting fleeced for a player who can't help them at all in 2022 and hasn't then played football in over a year. So that may have been part of it, but. By and large, I think the only thing that you should read into this is that this wasn't a snap decision to trade Calvin Ridley. It's something they've considered for a while, which means that they have been okay with this potential outcome for a little while. And I think that, again, the Falcons are committed to the team they have. They're moving in a different direction. Um, So I understand why Calvin Ridley is no longer a part of this team. The other thing is Cordero Patterson coming off of IR beginning his 21 day window to return. We don't know if that will be this weekend. I think it would be a fantastic time for that to happen because as we're about to talk about the chargers have some issues against the run. And I really think the Falcons are going to be able to take advantage of that. If Cordero Patterson is part of the mix, then my belief that that happens goes exponentially through the roof because Cordero Patterson runs like a madman and was so effective this season that before getting dinged up and he's also crucially the one truly kind of dynamic explosive player that the Falcons have that is not 100% reliant on Marcus Mariota getting him the ball and that's not you know a slight on Marcus Mariota but we've all you know we know what this is we know the Falcons play the way that they play yes it plays to the strengths of their team but it also hides some of those weaknesses which limits sometimes the impact that Drake London, Kyle Pitts, two of the most explosive kind of talented offensive weapons that Atlanta has. It limits what they can do because it's not 100% just, all right, here's the ball go. Yes, they can hand it off, but, but that's not what their strengths are with Cordero Patterson. You can just hand the ball off. It is that easy. And he is an explosive player, a dynamic player that people have to game plan for. So that is going to be huge for Atlanta to get back especially they haven't had him. They've been effective doing it uh, without him. I think it's a good reminder for the league that the Falcons are going to be much better with, with that with Cordero Patterson than they were without him. Um, We're not going to know before Sunday, whether or not he is going to play in this game. And we shouldn't know from a team perspective, they're going to play this right up to inactives as they probably should. Because as Arthur Smith said, when asked how, Cordero Patterson getting factored back into the mix would impact Caleb Huntley and Tyler Algier. He said that's a problem for Brandon Staley, and we're going to let the Chargers figure that out this weekend. It's their job to stop us. We're not going to give them any clues. So why would they do that uh, by letting Cordero Patterson's status be known ahead of game time? I'm pretty sure that that's the way they're going to play it. uh, But everything else about this game is a pretty big mystery. Uh, That being said, we have some clues for how it may play out Uh, So let's get to my conversation with Ryan DiRude and Jamal Madri of the LA Football Network to break it all down. All right, Ryan, Jamal, we are here to talk about the week nine matchup between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, You know, there's a lot of ways we can go here. We can talk about the expectations for both of these teams coming in and where they are now compared to those expectations. Injuries have become a storyline of late. For both of these squads, um, but let's just start here. I want to ask you guys: Is this going to go as poorly for the Falcons as their last AFC matchup did uh, against Cincinnati? I mean, how scared should Falcons fans be for this Chargers team, Jamal?
2: Well, I think you know it's an interesting question. The Chargers are dealing with a lot going into this matchup, specifically on the injury side. When you look at not having their top two receivers in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams reports this week, or that Keenan Allen hasn't really responded to the hamstring recovery over the course mm. of the bye that folks would like. I, I have my doubts of whether or not he's going to play. You're down your two best wide receivers, the injuries to the offensive line, the injuries to the Joey Bosas and the J.C. Jacksons of the world. The Chargers come into this game not only banged up physically – but they come in banged up from a psyche perspective. And so I actually am not sure what Chargers team is going to make that flight to Atlanta in this game. And so I think the Falcons should be concerned that if the Chargers have their fastball, they are one of the most talented teams in the AFC, but Chargers fans should be concerned about if they can get their fastball. And, And the only thing that's been consistent about the Chargers this season has been their inconsistency. One game, they're great on the ground with Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly. Another game, it's a complete disappearing act. One game, you feel like you have a lot of confidence in the Gerald Everett's of the world. In the next game, there's a disappearing act. So, you know, when you couple that with Justin Herbert's health and where he is in terms of his ribs, in terms of the beating that he's been taking the last couple of weeks, you just don't know what you're going to get. And I think that's what makes this matchup very compelling is I think you have two teams whose ceilings, when they're really on, can be very high. But the ebbs and flows of the season has really turned each team into a bit of a daytime soap opera.
1: (laughs) Ryan, do you share uh, Jamal's concerns about the, uh, you know, which team will show up for for Los Angeles? And certainly the, you know, a, a kickoff early on the East Coast. I mean, that, is a big factor when you're talking about a team's readiness kind of, will they show up all of that? So is, is that a concern for you as well?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, me, me and Jamal coast and we try to like disagree with each other's, but I feel like we just <laughs> agree on a lot of the same things because we, I don't know. We just do, I guess. The I group guess. think is real. It, <laughs> really, yeah, is. <laughs> I, I, it really is. But it, but with this team is so true. And Will, first of all, thanks again for, you know, doing this with us. I had a blast with you talking Falcons Rams earlier in the year. So glad yeah, we were able to of get back on and do some more um, LA talk uh, on your stuff and, and having you on our show as well. But, you know, I, it, and this is going to come out weird and it's definitely not meant disrespectful to the Falcons because I think it's been such a fun, surprising te- season for that Falcons team. And obviously, you know, covering the team. But I would feel much better if the Chargers were playing like the Chiefs this week or the Bills this week, just because for some reason this year, they've played up to like their competition more so. And when they play the, again, not lesser team in the Falcons, they have pretty much the same record, but a team maybe have less talent or less caliber, they tend to not show up and get completely outcoached and just something goes awry. And especially with the Falcons being such a strong running team and, and whatnot, and, and what they're really leaning into with the Arthur Smith system, how does that match up against this Chargers defense? So echoing what Jamal said, yeah, definitely a concern. Coming off the bye helps for sure, but you know there's really not getting, unfortunately, a lot of these guys back yet. They're getting them back later in the season, but not just right after this bye. So they're going to be a very... Uh, banged up team heading to Atlanta. And you mentioned it, that 10 a.m. kickoff time, West Coast teams never tend to play well at that early window on the East Coast, So that's definitely a real factor, too.
1: I actually have a theory on kind of what you just mentioned about they would probably get up a little bit more for a Chiefs game, a Bills game, these better teams in the NFL. And, and I think that as I was looking at the Chargers and looking at their statistics and looking at how they've played and kind of trying to think of all the storylines that I remembered about the Chargers throughout the offseason and, and all of that stuff. They're a team that's built for the AFC West. They're a team that's built for the Chiefs. They're a team that's, you know, built more for the Bengals. They're a team that that's kind of going to play, you know, they made, Brandon Staley made that move to the cover two, kind of really popular, I think, last year. And then watching them offensively, their short passing game is such an extension of their run game that I almost feel like they expected everybody to start playing them the way that they're playing Kansas city. And they're anticipating so much deep coverage that I don't even feel like they're taking as many deep shots as they have been in the past. Am I reading that correctly? And so when you play a team like Atlanta or a lesser team or Seattle or somebody like that, who doesn't have the juggernaut passing game that we kind of associate with the best teams in the league, these teams run the ball well and LA has not done a good job. In fact, they've done the worst job on a per play basis against the run this season. Like, is is that the right read on this team that that they're kind of built more for a passing oriented game, Ryan, as opposed to like a ground and pound game that Seattle wants to play, that you know, Cleveland wants to play, and certainly Atlanta wants to play.
0: Well, here's the concerning thing, Will, and you're you're spot on. But they tackled the off season. To become a team that could stop the run. Yes, they signed JC Jackson. They Ooh. signed Bryce Callahan. You know, they got more reinforcements in the secondary as well. Obviously, JC has not played great and then now he's out for the season, but Bryce Callahan has been tremendous. He's been yeah. yeah, he's been great. But the, the signings of Sebastian Joseph Day, of Austin John- Johnson, and others, the the drafting of Otito Bo- Obonier uh, yeah. out of UCLA, uh, they've added all these reinforcements to the middle of their line to you know, improve what was such a weakness last year. And I'll let Jamal touch on this more too. But the the unfortunate thing is from an overall, I know you just mentioned that great stat on a per play basis, but when you actually look at it play by play basis, they actually have really improved. But they seem mm. every game to give up a 50 yard plus run. And that's what just blows that stat away. And then it's like you when you average things out, it then it bumps that number up. But overall they've done better. Now they weren't great against Seattle in their last game with Kenneth Walker and whatnot, but you know, that second half against Cleveland, they only allowed 30, 32 yards or so to Nick Chubb. They really tightened things up. So it's it's just they need to get like Jamal mentioned earlier, it's consistently inconsistent and they need to flip that and consistently play to what they've actually been constructed to be, which is what they were this offseason, was to stop the run. So but if Jamal wants to add on to that as well.
2: Yeah, it's a great point, Will. And you know, just to piggyback off of what Ryan is saying, this is only the third game of the season for the Chargers where they're gonna play a team that's five hundred or above and they're 0-2. They, they lost the game to the Chiefs that they probably should have won. There were some questionable calls there and then just you know got the doors blown off them against the Seahawks at home. So seeing how they respond here, I think if there's a word that I can describe the Chargers this year in terms of schematically the things that you're saying is they were built for patience, but they have not committed to patience. And when you look mm. at teams that are very patient and methodical in their offensive approach, whether that is the Seahawks, whether that is the Jaguars when they came in early in the season, whether that is the Browns, whether that was even the Texans to a certain extent of that game, you find that the Chargers do things impatiently to try and create separation and make some questionable decisions, whether that's going forward on a fourth down on their side of the field or... Taking a shot out of character after, you know, knowing that what the defense is willing to give them underneath or staying committed to that running game, even if the first handful of carries isn't generating a lot of yardage. It just seems that the Chargers go into a game saying, we are going to play X style and Ryan alluded to this a couple of weeks ago on our show, it doesn't really matter what the other team is doing. We're going to do X Mm. in terms of what we've prepared for. Now, whether that team matches up well with X or they don't, so be it. We're just going to go in there and and play a certain way. And that ability to stay patient and that ability to make in-game adjustments, I think, has been the biggest detriment to their season so far.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the, the Zach Wilson quote, when he said, I basically got bored out there uh, for, for the way that he was throwing the ball the other day because teams are just making him play a patient form of football. It's like that quote just as an organization, is that what it's been like, Jamal?
2: Absolutely, Will. And I think this team you know, is doing the right things uh, from time to time, but it just feels like they lose that patience and they want to you know, put Herbert in some dangerous situations, even though he's not 100% healthy. They want to take some random shots down the field They want to kind of get their weapons involved, even on certain games where they're down wide receiver four, wide receiver five on the depth chart. They're just not playing Mm -hmm. to their personnel. They're not willing to sort of grind Uh, the, the chargers for them to be able to make that next step. They have to be more than just this sort of vanilla sideshow that's entertaining. They have to have that sort of championship moxie willing to sort of grind out some victories and that's something we haven't seen yet you know they they got grinded into the ground by the Seahawks and the Jaguars and should have sort of lost the game against Cleveland they sort of gift wrapped that game to Cleveland so you know they were up early for that Chiefs game and we sort of considered them a 2-0 and team even though they were 1-1 but they just haven't come mm-hmm. back to that to your point Will I think sometimes that focus is so much on one team you forget you have a, a schedule to play. An, an NBA analogy a couple of years ago was when Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets were just so obsessed with the Warriors and, and matched up <laughs> their personnel to the Warriors that that year after, they just weren't as good because they forgot, well, actually there's, you know, 29, 30 other teams that we have to deal with, it's yeah. not just the
0: Warriors. Last point on that and and looking specifically just at the defense again, Well, you know, Brandis, I, I love Brandis. We both like say a lot. I love say. I love what he did with the Rams before he was hired by the Chargers. And and his defense in general is built to do that effect to the offense, make the offense get bored and force something at some point that's going to mm-hmm. either result in a turnover or a turnover on downs or a, a weird coaching call because the coach wants to like push the field. That's what his defense is built on. And it's almost like the defensive players, though, are not adhering to that, like Jamal was saying, committing, and then they're getting sloppy. They're making fundamental errors. A lot of these big runs that we're seeing, they're not really giving up a ton deep through the air. There has been some, but that hasn't been their their bugaboo. The big thing has been the big gashing runs, and a lot of it's either you know over pursuing or Derwin James, the best safety in football, just flat out nope. missing an open <laughs> field tackle, stuff like that. So it's just the little things that this defense is built on, whether it's buy in, whether it's Boredom, whatever it may be, the defense just hasn't fully committed to it. And so they're kind of their own Achilles heel of what they're trying to make offenses do.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's this is such a fascinating matchup to me because of these two identities of of these teams, because, you know, Atlanta and one of the things that I think Arthur Smith identified and it was something that he was doing even back in Tennessee, but that was a little bit personnel driven with Derrick Henry is defenses. Most defenses across the league right now, first and foremost, are worried about the pass. They're worried about defending the pass because most of the offenses are kind of pass first offenses. So they're already a little bit less focused on the run. So Arthur Smith has said, we're going to make that our primary focus and we're going to run it against you until you are forced to move out of a situation where you have an advantage against the pass and you're going to move into the box. And that's where we're going when we're going to try to strike against you and so you know Ryan as I look at this matchup and I look at Brandon Staley and we talk about his defense and cover two and kind of putting that 10 up and not letting anything deep but you mirror that with the lack of patience with you know kind of getting antsy as the game goes along Arthur Smith has proven time and again this season he's never going to get bored running the football against you in fact he kind of runs the football to a detriment when he's down three touchdowns and he should probably start throwing the football. He's going to just keep running it. So is that the biggest concern for the Chargers? Is that not only are the Falcons effective running it, but then you counter it and then they start hitting the top over you? Or do you think there's no, you think they're just going to stay
0: in too high the whole time and, and Atlanta's just going to be able to run the ball? No, it's a huge concern. And it's why this matchup Favors Atlanta, but it, the key will be adjustments. Because as I mentioned with the Cleveland game, that favors Cleveland absolutely too. And the mm-hmm. Chargers did make adjustments in that second half and brought and got the James bye week. down in the box, got the bye week. So that's what we'll see. And and but yeah, that's definitely not what this defense. I mean, it's what they want, but you also need the playmakers in order to do it. And not yeah. to just make this about comparing to Brandon Staley and his Rams, but when you look at this Rams team, I mean this Chargers team doesn't have Aaron Donald on the defensive line. So that, that makes up for a lot against the right. run. And if you remember that playoff game where they lost to the Packers, Aaron Donald was banged up, wasn't hundred percent, didn't play the whole game. And the Packers just dinked and dunked and ran down the Drams throat in that game. And so that's what teams have been able to do against the Chargers, even with the reinforcements they've got, but you lose Joey Bosa, they're banged up a little bit at linebacker. They just lost Chris Rumph, who was their third edge guy. And so, yeah, this matchup is going to be interesting to see how quickly Staley will will move out of that that high-to-safety look and start bringing guys like Derwin James into the box, which he's going to, I think, have to do pretty early on.
1: Jamal, I want to uh, flip over to the offense now for the Chargers. And part of uh, what I was looking at after watching a couple of Chargers games, I just felt like a lot of checkdowns to Eckler, a lot of short yardage stuff. And again, part of that can be by design at some of time or sometimes it looks like it is by design. But then I went and looked at, you know, the air yards per pass and Justin Herbert is 32nd among 35 qualifying quarterbacks for this stat with 6.2 air yards per attempt. Is that more the result of injuries at receiver? Is that more the result of Justin Herbert's own injury? Or is that kind of by design with the offense this year?
2: Yeah, well, it's a staggering statistic, isn't it? When you consider <laughs> Justin Herbert in the landscape of NFL arm strength hierarchy, yeah, you know he's he's probably you know arguably at the top or certainly top three in terms of arm talent of, of anyone in the league today. So to see a, a six point two, you know, yards per per attempt essentially, and 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 seeing how that's playing out, I, I think there's a couple things here. Will one is the injuries to the receivers. Can't be overstated. Losing your number one guy second half of week one in terms of Keenan Allen has been absolutely significant for this team. Mike Williams mm-hmm. is a tremendous number two wide receiver, but as Ryan and I have also alluded to, he can be inconsistent at times in terms of sloppiness with his you know route running ability and, and just kind of the precision and how he gets open. Sometimes he sort of overly tries to rely on his body to make contested catches, and, mm-hmm. and that works and that doesn't work sometimes. So I think there's been a lack of connectivity with Herbert and his receivers. Second, I think his own injury is very significant. I think the, the rib cartilage injury has really impacted him in a lot of ways. And you can see it in a couple of different areas, Will. One is obviously kind of the, the reluctance to air it out. But second, you mm-hmm. can even look at it in terms of his mechanics, in how he is struggling to follow through on even some of those deep out routes, um, some of those 15 to 25-yard balls that, you know, he's got laser beam-like arm talent to make. And so many of those balls have either been in the dirt or sailed over a guy's head. And again, that's directly attributed to follow through and being able to manage that pain. And the third area where it's really emerged is if you look at a lot of Chargers games – the number of batted balls at the line of scrimmage. The Chargers are right now averaging probably between four and six of Herbert's passes a game seem to get tipped at the line of scrimmage because he's mm-hmm. in kind of three quarter formation and, you know, really trying to compensate for those ribs. So you're seeing those characteristics materialize in other ways. And I think it's just made him more reluctant. To um, really air it out and, and hang in the pocket as well because of the injuries to the offensive line. Now, you know, folks like Salier have done a tremendous job in terms of replacing temporarily a Rashawn Slater, but I think Herbert still necessarily may not have 100% confidence in his offensive line, 100% confidence in his own physical abilities, nor 100% confidence in his receiving core right now. And I think all three of those. Uh, characteristics are are attributing to this.
1: I know that he's, you know, obviously played with the injury, Ryan, but has there been any word coming out of the bye week? Is he healthier than he's been all season? You know, any headlines like that? Or, you know, uh, is this something that he's just going to deal with throughout the rest of the year? And it's kind of just going to be what it's going to be.
0: So Jamal and I kind of Chuckled about this on our last show because going into the Seattle game, he was taken off the injury report, which leads you to believe he's one hundred percent. But it would—I mean, that's what we would believe. But is he really like you see him throw the ball? Is he really like we—we we don't think he is. But according to reports, he's one hundred percent. He's not on the injury report again this week, uh, coming off the buy. But like Jamal alluded to, you can just tell from throws he's missing. I mean, there was a out route against Seattle that's not necessarily an easy throw, but an NFL throw and a talent like justin herbert hits 10 out of 10 times and he Mm -hmm. just short hopped it to mike like i think it was either williams or everett on just a a little 10 yard out route and so throws like that you're seeing the one where he forced uh, one over the middle and the triple coverage so there's a lot of mental stuff that i don't know just if he doesn't trust his body fully so he's forcing things incorrectly so yeah there's a lot of things attributing to it but i think to answer your question as far as we know he's 100 but is he i guess (laughs) we'll see again on sunday
1: (laughs) So then what, uh, and Ryan, we'll stick with you on this one as as well. So then tell me about Austin Eckler and has he become the most important member of this offense given, you know, some of the short yardage uh, attempts and how they're using him and and Justin's limitations. And of course the injury to Keenan Allen and now Mike Williams, like, do we expect this to be the Austin Eckler show on, on Sunday or are they going to get support from some other guys? And if so, who might they be?
0: Yeah, you know, no matter what, Justin Herbert's still the most important player on the offense. They're not going to go very far of course, if he's that's, not that's, playing, yeah. uh like himself. But after that, it's absolutely Austin Eckler. You you hit the nail on the head. The, uh, no Mike Williams this week. Uh, Keenan Allen, It's there's like two different reports whether he – like. Reinjured injured his hamstring in the bye week or just it's not improving like they hoped. there's like mm-hmm. conflicting stuff out there but basically he's at risk of not going yet again um you know obviously Jalen Guyton who was their deep guy got injured early in the season out for the year so when you look at the receiving core you're looking at Josh Palmer you know second year kid and then walk-ons essentially after that and then you have Gerald Everett you have Donald Parham and then Austin Eckler so Austin Eckler absolutely is the focal point of the offense Joshua Kelly, who are really emerges RB two and has had a really fine season, he's out for another four weeks or so, uh, nursing an injury. So they have their running back Isaiah Spiller, who had one carry last week, and then they have uh, Larry Roundtree, who also, or no, excuse me, Sony Michelle, who they signed off uh, free agency this season, and he's kind of been their secondary back as well. So. Without getting too long-winded, yes, it's going to be Austin Eckler. He's going to have to, you know, I think, catch the ball eight-plus times in this one. He's going to have to run it 15-plus times. You're looking at 20, 22, 25-plus touches, and they're going to have to find some good efficiency there and keep him healthy as well, and if they want any chance in this one because they just unfortunately, you know, it's the NFL next man up. They just don't have the talent at the other positions in order to overcome a lot of what's going on. So it's going to have to be the Austin Eckler show.
1: I mean, he's certainly capable of handling it. Uh, He's currently ninth right now in in total offensive yards, 737, but played one less game than a lot of the guys ahead of him on that list. So, I mean, that does show you the versatility. But what about the offensive line? Because played pretty well, by and large, all year long, um, at least in terms of sack numbers. Obviously, watching him game in and game out, you're going to have a better idea of pressures and hurries and things like that than, you know, an outsider might. But Lately, it looks like it's trending maybe in the wrong direction. Is that because we're just kind of like other teams are getting a little bit more of of a script on some of these reserve offensive linemen, Jamal? And now that they've got kind of a game plan on how to attack them, it's getting easier. Are they just regressing more back to the mean and kind of becoming more the league average player that you originally expected them to be? Like, what has been the recent issue, or has there been a recent issue and and everything still is expected to be fine for this offensive line.
2: Well, I think what we're seeing in terms of, and I think you are very astute in pointing out some regression, but I don't think the regression is necessarily attributed to hat on hat and and an inability to maybe, you know, sort of be very good in pass or run blocking situations. I think they've held up actually pretty decently when you sort of take out the, the small sample size of week over week, I think where they're struggling is in blitzes. And I think the blitzes are a mm-hmm. direct result of not having enough respect for the guys on the outside. And so I think people are starting to really understand that we can crowd some of these receivers, play more bump and run coverage. They're not going to be able to get separation because of that lack of talent from wide receiver two onwards at this particular stage. We can get more clever, take more chances with our blitzes Because A, Herbert isn't really sort of connecting with those receivers. They don't have the talent to get the separation. And B, because of his own injuries, he's more sort of looking towards the check down. So even if we we whiff on a blitz, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, we give up eight yards on a play. I mean, the risk-reward ratio there is just so much in favor of stacking the box more and bringing more exotic pressures that that's really where we're seeing the offensive line struggle a little bit to sort of pick up where that pressure is coming from and the one thing i'll I'll double click on will in terms of the offensive approach and the offensive line approach to this game with the emphasis being on eckler and i think the other key member of this team is going to be gerald everett offensively for this game but it really falls into the falcons hands because of the lack of offensive variety and the offensive explosiveness it's going to take a long time for the chargers to move the ball down the field. And I think both teams are going to be in that game where when they have the ball, they're going to possess the ball for a long period of time, which means that there's going to be a Mm -hmm. fewer number of possessions in the game, which really falls into the Falcons' lap in terms of how they want to play. And Arthur Smith can run the ball even more uh, for a longer period of time in the game because it's going to be fewer possessions and the probability of falling behind by more than one score early in the game is so low that they can really commit to running, 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 and then go and play action deep with Mariota and doing some exotic things. So the game is really setting up nicely uh, for the Falcons, both in terms of pace, in terms of style,
1: and and in terms of being at home. Jamal, you're a hell of a salesman, man. Like, I am so hyped for this game right now. Let's go. Is Sunday here yet? Can it get here fast enough? I, I cannot wait for this. Um, I don't Ryan, think our,
0: I don't think our chargers listeners are dying
1: when he's putting down, <laughs> but Hey, I'm glad Atlanta explode. is now
2: my, my, my car is going to get egged in LA now after, I, after <laughs> <the show. laughs>
1: I mean, that is, that is the nightmare scenario, right? Like that's kind of the, the vice grip for the chargers as it gets into that doomsday spiral where yep. Falcons are running the ball. Well, they're controlling time of possession. Maybe one, you know, a missed throw by Herbert gets picked and all of a sudden the Falcons are back and you know, yes that's like the slow python grip for this game but you know Ryan the last time we talked it was before the Rams game in week 2 and the Falcons had dominated the Saints for 3 quarters gave up a, a big you know fourth quarter collapse lost the game and we didn't really know what to make of the Falcons then the Falcons went played probably their second worst game in my opinion of the season against the Rams um but they've Since then, kind of become the same team, a better version, even though they haven't had Cordero Patterson and, you know, the injuries are starting to tick up. But how do you view them coming into this matchup as opposed to the first time we talked?
0: Yeah, well, first off, what a what a fun game that was last week against Carolina. I know you probably <laughs> wouldn't have felt the same had uh, Carolina pulled it off and ended up winning in overtime. But since Atlanta got the win, we can just look and say, yeah, it was a fun game. Yeah, you can. Um,
1: I would have thought Justin Herbert would be the one making a 62 yard throw, like right on the dime at the end to, to tie it up. But hey, you know, P.J. Walker, step right up. Yeah.
0: Does P.J. Walker, is that the throw of the year so far? I mean, it was it's so good.
1: Right. It was so good. I've watched that it so dime. many times.
2: Well, that's what Mahomes tweeted out, remember? Mahomes said that was the best throw of the year of the NFL, hands down. It's not even a question. So if it's good enough for Pat Mahomes, it should be good enough for all the fans.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, No, that was fun. But but no, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, I think this – and I think you kind of set the question up with the answer, the fact that this team I don't think is any different than what we already knew or expected, but now they've owned that and have really – Kind of like what we've said about the Chargers, but the opposite. The Chargers, we don't really know because they haven't owned an identity and they're inconsistent in that. We know they have talent on certain sides. But I think the the Falcons, from what I've seen, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know the ins and outs of the Falcons, which we'll flip here in a second. We'll start asking you some questions. Yeah. Um, but I think that they've owned who they are. Arthur Smith has been very clear since being hired. Like This is what we're going to do on offense. This is who we're going to be. They've owned that. They've basically used Marcus Mariota in a very smart and strategic way. And you know, obviously, I'm I'm not saying he hasn't lost them games or hasn't done this or that or hasn't played poorly other times here or there. But I think overall, they've really figured out their their mantra and been able to you know play into that and and they've done it to some success. And obviously, being first in the division helps having their division not play very well. But uh, <laughs> yes, but they are first. They are first in the division, and so um yeah to answer your question they just I think they really have found who they are which obviously is a run first football team and the defense has shown glimmers of improvement obviously last week not as much giving up quite a few points to Carolina who hadn't done anything offensively for quite a few weeks but it's a division game you never know what can happen in those and they obviously the Panthers I think have some pride after trading their best player firing their coach and so you never can count one of those teams out and but the Falcons, you know, weathered the storm and, and stuck their identity and, you know, they're first in division.
1: They are. And yeah, you can never discount the the like coaching change bounce. Right. It's it's a little bit like on Wall Street. You know, they get a new CEO. The stocks are going to go up for a little bit because everybody's just like, all right, change. Here we go. That's yep. got to be good. Right. Um, So, all right, let's flip it around. You guys, uh, any Falcons related questions for me? What do you want to know?
0: Well, I will start and. I know we talked a little bit when we were talking Rams, Falcons earlier in the season, but this is, you know, different team, different matchup later on, obviously. But out here in L.A., I know I mentioned it then, but we love Drake London, was a great Trojan out here, eighth overall pick for you guys. I know statistically it hasn't been blown off the page but I think a lot of that obviously is the offense the style the scheme the utilization but I'd rather you answer what's been the the thoughts on Drake London how does he compare in the offense with the likes of Kyle Pitts and what kind of threat do you think he poses to this Chargers secondary who's going to be missing a JC Jackson and whatnot has kind of banged up at safety as well so just overall thoughts on London Pitts and the kind of passing game of this Falcons team
1: yeah um well, the the passing game is not abundance, but I think that's very clear. Uh, Drake London specifically, you mentioned the volume's not been there, but on a per play basis, like it's very apparent that the Falcons hit on the number eight pick. I mean he's he's a really good player and he does the little things very well. There was um, a play in the game against Carolina where he's kind of running a dig route, sees Marcus Mariota getting out of the pocket, rolling back out to, to the left. So he just puts his foot in the ground, but he kind of overruns. Like he almost acts like he doesn't see what's happening. And I think that was to kind of lull his defender to sleep in man coverage. And then on a dime flies back, catches back up to Mariota, makes a catch on the sideline. So it's like he has a savviness about him that I don't think a lot of rookies, although more rookies, I think nowadays coming into the league are showing this. Um, if the volume is there a little bit more, I think that he would be talked about as one of the best rookies in the league. I mean, Drake London leads this team right now with 346 receiving yards and we're going into week nine and the Falcons have not had a bye week So that's a minuscule amount of receiving yards for your number one wide receiver to have. Um, So it's been like that. It's not going to be the star of the show. That being said, like I mentioned earlier, like they're gonna run the ball to get people into these cover three, cover one looks. And then when they do pass, they're looking to take the roof off. Like they're looking for these chunk plays. So that's kind of I think what you're gonna see. Now, Los Angeles's secondary scares the hell out of me. Like I they are so good. I love Derwin James with all my heart. Uh Nasir Adam Adder- Adderly has played well this season. I think it's Sante Samuel. Um you know, makes his plays when when he needs to. So I'm I'm really worried about the secondary, which is why I would be shocked, honestly, if the Falcons throw the ball more than ten times in this game. As long as everything goes according to plan, it, it's gonna look like a Georgia Tech offense, uh, circa Paul Johnson out there.
0: Man, I mean it's such a not not a I guess you could use insult or whatever in today's NFL. That's got to be such a good feeling if you can win a football game, running, run, throwing the ball ten times, and you just smash. It would make out. Bill Belichick smile. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: <laughs> Will in a in a weird sense, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd love to get your your thoughts on this, of course. But is this almost like the worst possible season the Falcons could have because they're not a Super Bowl contender? And they're not bad enough to try out their starting quarterback. And they're not going to be bad enough to be high enough in the draft to go get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or what have you. So in a way, they're kind of in no man's land. How do you feel about that? And and what's kind of the temperature with the fans?
1: Um, I don't think that they're in necessarily in no man's land because this year just wasn't expected to amount to anything. And so when your expectations are already that the season is going to be poor from an actual like the product on the field. So what does our JV team look like kind of deal? Like you sit in the high school bleachers, you're like, these guys suck. Let's go see what the eighth grade team looks like. And if there's any hope on the horizon, that is, you know, an enticing mentality, I think, to take because you can guard yourself, safeguard yourself from, you know, emotional hurt. Like that's what all fans just want to avoid is I don't want to get my hopes up because I don't want to be crushed. And trust us in Atlanta, like we get that. Um, but
0: Chargers fan from, from a too. culture Don't standpoint,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, I, I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> there's heartbreak everywhere, right? Yeah. If you're a sports fan, you felt it. Um, but what we're seeing is really, I think, an evolution of culture. And that does matter. I think learning how to win is something that is maybe even something that I've underrated uh, previously. But how many times do you see the same teams getting first round picks? I mean, how many first round picks does Jacksonville need? How many like high, like top five first round picks like the Carolina Panthers, all of the they're talented, but they can't win. And we're seeing teams all around the league that are kind of on paper talented. And then you've got a team like Atlanta that should have gone two and 15 by, you know, some predictions who are finding ways to win these games because Yes, I believe they have a lot of schematic advantages because of their coaching, but they do a lot of the little things right. They give maximum effort all the time. There is kind of buy-in from the talented guys on the team, like a Kyle Pitts, like a Drake London, where they say, we're going to run block 30 times in a game. It's not going to be fun. We're going to get criticized for fantasy points and all these, but like we're winning football games. And so I think that that is something that can't be overstated. The quarterback stuff can be figured out. Um, I think you're going to start, see more teams that want to put the team together and then figure out the quarterback kind of at the end as your last missing piece, as opposed to the Russell Wilson, man, we hit on a quarterback in the third round. We really think we have something here. Dak Prescott, same thing. Like we're all in on their rookie contract and you start with the quarterback and then you have so many teams trying to find quarterbacks left and right in the draft. I I think we're going to start seeing the opposite happen. And I think Atlanta is a good. Case model for why that is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, I, like one or two more from us, probably, then we can wrap this thing up. But yeah. if you look at, talk to us about Dean Pease, defensive coordinator. You know, obviously, the talk is about Arthur Smith. You know, anytime you have an offensive head coach, that's kind of the focal point and the focus of analysis and and chatter um dean p is obviously long tenured nfl coach a lot of history a lot of teams what's he done to a kind of stabilize arthur smith maybe as a first time i know this is a second year but first time head coach and b what has he do you think done well offensively or not well i know they're not necessarily a juggernaut on defense i think i said offense defense um but what has he been able to do for this defense and how do you see this defense matching up against the chargers offense which we talked about extensively earlier in the show but now we'll flip it on the Falcon side and kind of what Dean Pease in this defensive unit can do to slow down Herbert and company.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when you mentioned, you know, them against the blitz, the Chargers offensive line, kind of that being a little bit of a weak link. The Falcons haven't blitzed much, uh, you know, in terms of kind of the percentage of their overall plays defensively and probably not as much as Dean Pease would like, candidly their talent level on in the secondary and kind of in pass coverage, I think necessitates them doing a lot of simulated pressures where you're, you look like you're sending five guys, six guys before the snap and then four of them ultimately come. So you're not actually sending anybody on a blitz blitz, but where those four are coming from changes every play. That's kind of what they've been doing because they want, you know, seven guys back in coverage against some of these teams uh, that they don't match up well, necessarily talent wise. Now, given the fact that the Chargers are banged up at wide receiver. I don't know if that's going to free them like it has some other teams, apparently to maybe say, all right, we don't need seven guys back here. We can play man coverage. We're going to bring both our linebackers through the a gap.
2: Will just to to jump on that, let me sort of frame a question this way. If the Falcons pull off the upset uh, on Sunday, who is the defensive player that has to have an incredible game and, and essentially is kind of defensive player of the game in your mind.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I love that you brought up this question because it gives me a chance to talk about Arnold Evacati, who is their second round pick um, out of Penn state. He really, if you look at pure sacks, you're, you're not going to think that this guy kind of amounts to to much of anything or is, is really any threat so far, but his quarterback hurries, his pressure rate is, right up there with Aiden Hutchinson, right up there among the very top rookies in the league. Uh, He's watching him on film. I'm constantly surprised that he does not have like six sacks already. And I kind of think once he gets his first one, they're going to come in bunches because he is always just a hair behind every quarterback. And, you know, maybe Justin Herbert getting the ball out quickly, like we may see something similar this week, but when I'm looking at, you know, that was one of the reasons why I, I wanted to ask about the offensive line and the pass rush and, and the sacks kind of increasing lately. It's because I had Arnold Epicady in mind because I feel like he's getting there. He's getting there. He's getting there. And as a rookie, sometimes all it takes is that first one. He's a little versatile. They'll, they'll get him to drop back. He's part of that simulated pressure where sometimes he's coming, sometimes he's not. But he surprised me, frankly, and, and I watched a lot of his tape at Penn State coming into the draft with how he's played because he's played much better than anything I saw from him on tape. And I truly believe that, you know, in the next couple of years, he'll be somebody that when when it's Sunday Night Football, you know, Chris Collinsworth, I don't even know they've changed so many announcer pairings so many times (laughs) on on these stations. I don't even know if he's there anymore. But they're going to be like, man, this Arnold Cady guy, watch out for him. I I really think that that's going to be the case
0: we love it. Well, Will, thanks for having us on. Thanks for coming on with us. This was a blast in this little yeah. crossover Falcons Charger show. Of course, guys. And, you know, any
1: time we play an LA team, you'll be my first call. So I appreciate you guys coming on as well. Thanks so much, Will. That will do it for today's podcast, which you guessed it is presented by Bet Online. A big thank you to Ryan and Jamal for joining me. I can't wait for this weekend's matchup because I really, like, I've, I just love the the way that the two teams decide to attack each other. And I think it's very simple for Atlanta. It's very straightforward, but is it almost too straightforward and too simple? And how are they going to counteract that? What kind of counterpunches are they going to have when the chargers inherently do what they're going to try to do to stop Atlanta's run game? Cause it's not a surprise to them. Uh, what Atlanta's going to try to do either. So how does that all play in? I think Ryan's point about the chargers on a play to play basis, not being too, too bad against the run, but then you blank and, and they're hit with a 50 yard, play on the ground kind of like Kenneth Walker had in Seattle's win um, over and over again. That's kind of why I really like Atlanta in this matchup because that's what the Falcons do. They're not afraid to keep running the ball for a three yard gain a four yard gain because they know a 30 yard run like Caleb Huntley had in the fourth quarter like Marcus Mariota had in overtime like those are waiting around the corner if you stay consistent even when you're not getting that explosive play on the ground. So You can't kind of be like the Chargers have been on offense and get bored and go away from it. You got to stay with it because eventually you'll break one of those and the Falcons are going to go away from that. I expect the Chargers to be the first ones to blink the first ones to break, which is why I like the Falcons in this matchup. So those are my thoughts. Uh, We're going to get you out of here. It's been a long one. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, Please check in Monday morning. Ovi and I will be back with our thoughts on this game. Win or lose. You will hear from us please check us out on our YouTube channel or on believes YouTube channel. You will, uh, you'll find our great content. We are also on tune in and Sirius XM radio. Shoot us a note if you want about the show, any thoughts, ideas, um, comments, praises, criticisms, uh, believeinfalcons at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's the checklist. Uh, find all my written work at the Falcolic. Sorry, Falcolic. Thank you guys again for listening. We'll see you next time. Win or lose. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening
0: to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E.